Well, folks, it was 25 years ago today. Not exactly, but more or less. Last month was December, the 25th anniversary of recording this album, The Sign of Four. And now it was released probably a couple months later. I don't have the exact date, but it's kind of an historic moment in improvised music because it meant the meeting of guitarist Pat Metheny and Derek Bailey. And we're going to talk about that today and how Paul Wertico and I played percussion on that and how I ended up producing this album and all that good stuff. And I'm joined by two of my best buds from Make Weird Music, Andre Chomley and Anthony Garone, who's the founder of said site. And he is a maniac when it comes to finding different kinds of weird music. So I thought it'd be fun if they interviewed me on my own damn show. And maybe we'll get some information out of me that I didn't remember or some other way. Instead of me just doing a monologue, this will be more fun. And I always have fun when I'm with these guys. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I am going to... Um... <laughs> I'm going to use your tactics on from Todd Rundgren. You know, what you asked Todd applies to you as well. Um, first of all, why commit so hard to this type of effort? We're not talking about a one CD thing. We're talking three CDs that are nearly impossible to listen to. Okay. Three discs where you're searching for something that sounds like one of these guys except for Derek Bailey you know <laughs> it all sounds like Derek but if you know any of the other guys where are they obviously they're playing why did you commit so hard to a 3 CD release of such difficult music well let me just answer that uh in the short by saying it was not originally intended to be a triple CD so when i take you through the the little story and the tales of of how we got to do this thing that that'll, that'll really explain a lot but no initially it was to be one disc that combined the studio and the live recordings that was the original agreement but as you know things can become spontaneous and can kind of take over and become a little bit obsessive i don't know if anthony knows anything about that but <laughs> i'm saying that uh certain people can be a little obsessive and when two or three of them get together in a room, then they can it can really go down a rabbit hole. And that, I would say, would be the short answer. But basically what happened was I originally was playing duets with Derek Bailey for about 10 years. Uh, he was really one of the first people I played with when I came on the downtown scene in 83. I jammed with people like John Zorn, Tim Byrne, and... Uh, Bill Frizzell and, and Derek Bailey. And so uh, I was a young and I was 20, I think. And uh, Derek was really cool. You know, he, you know, I, I like to tell this story because it's, it's so, so indicative of Derek and how game he was to, to try things is, you know, this 20 year old kid comes up to him in the basement of the saint Everybody who knows the downtown scene might remember The Saint on East 6th, I think it was, or East 7th. And it's a basement, and there's Derek Bailey playing with John Zorn and George Lewis. And I was there with the other 14 people, 
and we were listening to them play music from their now classic recording called Yankees. Well, they weren't playing that music, they were playing different music. And I uh, had some cojones. I was listening to a lot of Derek Bailey. In fact, that record that many of your guitar uh, fans might know was a record called Guitar Solos, which was a compilation disc of odd guitar solos that included Hans Reichel, Fred Frith, Derek's on there. You guys could probably remember who the other guys are, right? Volume one, volume two, maybe. And I heard that and I thought, oh, I, I like this. This is really weird. Um, and I'd been doing free improv in my high school bands. You know, my bands included uh, free improvisation as early as probably junior year in high school. So uh, when I found out that Derek then had a percussionist named Jamie Muir, who was in this band I like called King Crimson, then I thought, oh, this is interesting. There's there's ways of using different levels of craziness in structure in outside of structure in song structure, you know, because Jamie was in music improvisation company with Derek. And then he went from music improvisation company to King Crimson, Lark's Tongues and Aspic. So I was sort of enamored of that whole idea of we don't know what this is. I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of liberating for a young guy where every, you know, you, I had hard ass teachers, you know, and they were like, Oh, I don't know what that is. I don't know what this, Oh, brain salad surgery. That's a horrible name, you know, things like that. And so, so I was always drawn, you know, to the, the more bizarre stuff. So by the time I get to college, I'm practicing to play with Cecil Taylor and I'm practicing to play with Derek Bailey. I, there's no other way to put it. I, those were my goals. Now, I didn't know that it meant that Derek Bailey would make it easy for me. So I went up to him at the Saint that day, that evening, and I said, Mr. Bailey, I'm a very big fan of your work. I'd really love to play with you sometime. And his response was, how's tomorrow? You pick me up, get, get me an amp, and we'll go play wherever you want. I swear it's that, it was that simple. And I have the, you know, in my archive, I have the cassettes that are really good stereo, clean recordings of the first time that Derek and I played together. So we built a relationship right away from rhythm, right away from texture. He, you know, he's really keyed into all that stuff that Todd talked about that are like the non-harmonic or non-melodic uh, aspects of music. Things like dynamics, things like rhythm, things like texture, things like timbre. And I'm a percussionist. And I see all these records that Derek Bailey's playing with percussionists. He likes percussionists. Well, here's another one. So we hit it off. He called me for things. I went to London to play with him. Uh, multiple company events. We played with Roscoe Mitchell of the Art Ensemble in Chicago. We played with, you know, uh, Wadada Leo Smith in, in New York at the Knitting Factory. All these different company events were Derek's events. So I knew that Derek was open and I knew that Pat was pretty open and Wordico and I had a duo called Bang and I had my new record with Derek called Banter. I gave a copy to Pat at a Pat Metheny group concert and he flipped out. He said, oh my God, I love Derek Bailey. And I'm like, you love Derek Bailey? <laughs> oh, I've been yeah, following I mean, Derek Bailey since the 70s. There's no way anyone listening to Pat, even at that time, 
unless you saw him do his free improv stuff on stage, which was pretty rare. Uh, there's, I don't think there's any way you could tell that Pat is a Der Derek Bailey fan. But nobody likes a surprise better than the Bendian. So I was just delighted because I'm like, oh, because you listen to every fucking ECM record, dog. I know. Yeah. And I know Ornette. You and, yeah. And Ornette. I, I know. And, and then the moment of truth came and I said, Pat, how do you know Derek Bailey's work? And this is the answer. And I swear this is verbatim. When I got serious about guitar, I decided it was my job to know about every guitarist that I possibly could. That's it. And and he said that many times in interviews. But yeah, but I think or that he's coming from Ornette and he's clearly new interstellar space and ohm and 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 you know, uh that's what's interesting. And he surely knew uh Sonny Chirac that that we should mention in in the in the thread here, but but yeah, that, that was must have been such a surprise, right? Your, your jaw dropped, no matter what you knew later about Pat that, at that moment, huh? Well, and it's it's not just knowing about Derek. He didn't say, oh, I know Derek. Oh, I know what Derek does. He said, I love Derek, right? This That is totally sure. different. And it's one thing to like read about someone in a magazine. It's another thing to study their work. And yet it's one more level above that to enjoy this type of music. So I feel but, but like is that, sorry, I, I was gonna I say, is that, is, like that is that the first artist though that you've encountered? Cause I think that's pretty normative. Like uh, you, you talk to some pop artists and yeah, I, I like hip hop or, you know, some uh, uh, African guitarist who goes, oh, I'm a big fan of country music. You know, Or, or uh, the Beatles being into Stockhausen. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I'm not but, but, saying like he had no right. It's just no. When when someone says something like, "I when I got serious about the instrument, I had to learn about every player." Learning about every player of of significance is one thing. Sure. But Derek is pretty far out on the fringe, and to to be invested in that type of work, when you're hearing what Matheny's doing during this time, you know, in the '80s, it's just not. The, it's yeah. Not the, that that's what I was gonna get to the core of. Like, are you talking about his his output? But then you listen to something like As Falls Wichita. That that's one of the weirdest twenty minutes of or twelve minutes, right? Of uh, that, playing that blind for students, people will leave the room. They're like, when does it go to a melody? Or you know, well, but, um, let your point your point well taken on on the hits of Pat and on the the main magazine cover image of Pat. That's what's interesting. You're right. He's at that point, he's known as, you know, kind of nice Brazilian stuff and kind of quieter. But really, anyone who scratches just slightly under the surface, there's a lot of weirdness by, by the mid-'80s. There's there's Song X and there's... Off-ramp. You know, uh, yeah, there's some... Um, but um, but but not not debating you, Anthony, you're right. Um, for most people, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> How's he... Wait a minute. You know, and, yeah, this and, is the and, bright size life guy, right? <laughs> right. And, 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 and you're correct in that that record and Zero Tolerance, a lot of people, you know, from his larger fan base were like, what is going on? You know, yeah. So what else can I tell you? I mean, it was really a, a matter of as soon as he said that, uh, I said, well, we should have dinner sometime. And he said, we should play. 
And I said, yeah, that would be, you know, I'll bring that up to Derek, you know, because the other thing is I didn't know that Derek knew who Pat Metheny was. He'd be just the sort of guy that wouldn't. But I think he he is he knows stuff. So I go to him and he goes, oh, really? Yeah, uh, sure. That sounds great. So it was easy to to put together because everybody knew it was going to be like the structure of limitations is always fun for me. So the idea is like, what do you got? You got two guitars and you got two percussion. Like the bar talk, two piano, two percussion, like just like something goes off in my brain where I always find antecedents there. Like I, how do things. So then it was, Pat, you're going to bring all your fucking guitars, right? He's like, what do you think? Right. So he brings all and I go up to him for everyone and I go, can you play that one? Can you play that one? He had one where the bridge changed the tensions on the strings to, to do different tunings on a Les Paul mechanism. So, I mean, there was that there was the Picasso guitar and Derek showed up with his acoustic and his hollow body electric and he asked for a Fender Twin. Pat was playing in quad on stage two speakers in front of him, two speakers behind him. So I was behind Pat. He was his speakers were hitting me directly. I could barely hear myself because he was so loud. And then um, Derek turned up and then you get the whole first disc. So OK, that, but that, that's like that's history, right? This, right. This is not what we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about three CDs, each of which have their own emblems, you know, like custom designed. And this is something I love about your CD packages, Greg. Uh, you care about the visual, the art, the look and the feel and everything. I mean, this is no simple package. I don't know of any. When I first got this, I was like, what the heck? This three CDs, this is going to be crazy. And each one, each disc has its own logo and then each disc is based on a sherlock holmes uh, story so it's kind of like what is going on here how when i say how did you commit so much to this it's not just why is there three cds but <laughs> this is this is like an art project that went three miles you know further than scope than it was like a 500 yard uh, walk you know <laughs> i i have to admit as i have in the past that sometimes i go a little overboard but like this meant a lot to me this logo because i just thought this is what it is it's four guys reaching for you know the heights of of music you know we're headed up um and just things like that meant a lot plus i'm i'm a huge conan doyle guy Jeremy Brett is my Sherlock Holmes. To my British listeners, I hope you respect that. Uh, Jeremy Brett is my Sherlock Holmes. And when I saw where they shot um, Baker Street, that's the, the same neighborhood that Derek lived in. Like Derek's house was one of those walk-ups. So when I would go to Derek's home in London, it was like going up the, the stairs to the, to the Baker Street apartments um mrs hudson kept for for homes and and for uh watson and so it was already in my mind like the sign of four which is such a great adventure uh of sherlock holmes and the derrick connection and just uh 
having fun with the book and opening up and finding really cool titles like the Aurora or uh, Antecedents, uh, A Break in the Chain, uh, Tracks, Strange Story. Like, and it was fun because I, all these Pat really liked. I remember like some of them he just thought were so great, like Poisoned Arrows, you know. And I had so I and how do you name instrumental pieces anyway, you know, so that became sort of just fun of finding a way to get the listener in, you know, on a untidy habits was almost a, a, a reference to Frank, you know, like filthy habits. So I had I had free reign. I mean, Pat said, you're producing this. I was choosing the takes. I was choosing the sequence. I was choosing the you know, we worked on the mix together. But since we're jumping around a bit, let me just go a little bit back and just say that um, our man Andre was an audience participant in the live performances, and he is recorded on the album. Um, Andre, you were there for the red disc. Come for the red hour. It's for my Star Trek fans. Um, <laughs> Andre, was it a red hour? I mean, what the hell was it? Because I was just on stage. I could barely hear what was going on. It was very red. It was very red. And let me let me uh, start out by um, presenting one of the... It, it's funny, and the, the youngins watching need to understand, there was a time where we didn't get a picture of everything. Um, and I know you know that if, if, you're, if you're young. I'm, I'm being facetious. Um, and and many people did have cameras, and our, our dear friend Bob Ramos is to thank because he was there with me, and we'll, we'll we'll get this a better scan. But as as Greg just described, there he is behind the amps. There, there's Greg in the back there, young Greg. There he is, quite Elias looking actually. But um, there's young Greg. This is a very rare picture, and then this one here. So um, so I was there, standing about this perspective, right? Because we were we were there. Did you hear Derek? I could, yeah, and we moved around, you know. And I'll say a couple quick things about the Knitting Factory, which, wow, wow. My life and the Knitting Factory, I just don't even know. Uh, the, 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 the 15 years of, of going there, playing there. And I'll say to Anthony, too, um, uh, and to any listeners, uh, Anthony raises a great point of how radical it is to do a beautiful package with three records and th three CDs. One thing people need to realize is the aesthetic of the Knitting Factory was, and I bought my copy there, you would walk into the Knitting Factory and you'd go early because you just knew because there was three rooms. There was always some free show in one of the floors and it was first come, first serve. So you'd go early, you'd grab a beer and there was a record store, Knitting Factory Records. And behind the bartender, you had dozens of these records and it would be everyone that, that, that Greg just mentioned, the new Zorn record, the new Tim Byrne, the new... Frizzell, the new David Torn, you know, some weird poetry reading with Laurie Anderson or, you know, uh, all these people, Wadada, you know, uh, uh, Pharaoh Sanders would play there. And their records would come out on Knitting Factory, a, a lot of them, or other small labels. So that was the thing. Um, people were buying weird records like this, like that, like with their with their pint. So that's part of uh, the aesthetic to remember that that there was a huge market for it, Downtown Records, which is still there. So that's just a little background. Um, I came into this, I was about 14, and a, a friend of mine, who I always thank, played me two records, a live Stanley Clark record I want to play for you. I was about 14 in high school. And Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed. 
And I always thank Dave Orbach for that because here I am. I I I, I can see his his teenage room. We're smoking some pot, and and so I've always loved completely noise, abrasive, whatever you want to call it. And then I got into things like Diamond the Galas and Shriek Back and uh, 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 Music Concrete, Throbbing Gristle. And another major uh, point that people should go back to from a pretty mainstream artist in the weird world, Frank Zappa's Weasels ripped my flesh. It ends with this, God, a minute of, you know, you know, and, and I loved it. I thought... Because you listen to it and you can hear little things, little granules of sound are moving around in the noise. So I always had a relationship with noise. Jump ahead to this show. I'm I'm a big fan of all four people at that point. Um, actually, Greg, I only knew a little bit. I'd seen his name. And Wordico, I only knew from the Pat records. But I, I knew Pat and Bailey. Uh, so I had to be there. I think I might have been at two shows. And as Greg says, I'm at the end of the record screaming Derek's name and Pat's name. Uh, uh, but I, um, it was a life changer because it, it showed me it was, it was a pretty good crowd. So it showed me that, okay, there are weirdos who like this music. Um, it was really loud. I remember that, but as a, as a rock and roll fan, as a heavy metal fan, the volume was fine for me. I mean, it was, it was just that language. Um, I'd never seen that much equipment on stage with four people. I mean, it was more than... I'd seen the Pat Metheny group at that point a few times. It, it was close to that much gear. I can't fit everything either. I put, fit a vibraphone back there. It's crazy. Amazing. But I, I do remember um, just really being affected by it for a long time. And then, to my shock, to my surprise, it became an album. That really was, you know, because you just didn't expect that. Um, the record. You make um, a good point, though, because no one spoke to the audience, which I thought was really weird. There were no talk mics. So we come on stage, we play this noise, we leave. And by the way, we're making a record. Nobody knew we were making a record. Then we went into the studio and recorded. Then we came back and played live again. I think it was like that broken up. And uh, and, and and yeah, to your point, it was it was just. Um, we didn't even really know what it was. It, it was an onslaught, you know, and um, I think at that time I'd seen Last Exit. I'd seen Sonny Chirac a few times. I think I'd seen uh, the son of Last Exit sax player, Peter Bratzman. I'd seen his son, Casper Bratzman. Wow. I still think about that show. You want to talk about the guitarist, it. guitarist, yeah. Whew. Anthony, do you know that record he did with Paige Hamilton from Helmet? That's a good one for, for yeah. our scholars to go look for. Yeah, so Casper uh, Bratzman, son of Peter Bratzman from Last Exit, did a record with the incredible Paige Hamilton of ha Helmet, and it is just a wall of it, – it's, it's a test. for. Um, but I, um, I, I remember it well. It affected me for years, that, that, um, that record. And when I had an a, a, a experimental group with my late partner, Sherry Josney, electronic percussionist, we did um who was at the show too we we on our first record we have a, a track called bailing out <laughs> that's kind of a, a a little nod to derek so he was he was that important you know his his whole his whole thing and of the four people on stage you know um in in a way he he's the he's what stands out in that it was so unexpected like you know you'd see paul and greg was playing around town pat was doing but to see Derek in a group. 
I remember distinctly. I remember, wow, this is weird. This is the guy who plays solo. What? What? what, what this is going to be weird. So, so those are some of the memories. Um, I'll close by saying uh, I still listen to it from from time to time. It's been a while, but uh, you know, every, every couple of years, you know, you put it on. Uh, the the controlled aspect of the studio version. I I always wish and hope that gets another audience because that's where you really can hear all the four voices. Uh, the the live albums are are really for. It, it's kind of like I'm a big Hot Pepper fan. That's the Ghost Pepper, Scorpion Pepper stuff. <laughs> the live records. It really you is, know. man. It and, really and, is. And and you um you got to be into some throbbing gristle to fall asleep to, and some Diamond the Glass and old Yoko if you're gonna really approach some of that stuff. So I was gonna pull out some some uh, press from back in the day, contemporaneous reactions, but I I'll tell you one from memory. Here's the review from the Boston Phoenix. This music is a big, ugly blood clot, Boston Phoenix. <laughs> now, last night I played my wife uh, the residence version of um, Teddy Bear from The King and I, and they did a live version. That's what I showed her. It's terrifying, right? It's just like the stuff of nightmares. That to me is accessible. Like I can listen to that, but I think. The res that performance is as far from my wife as the sign of four is for me. <laughs> and people are like, oh, you run make weird music. That doesn't mean I like everything that we, we post. Nor but, do you have to. Right, right. It's it's just so out there and you have to appreciate that there's something that people just in general don't understand yet or if they ever will and that's what was happening on these discs for sure i remember pat saying we don't know what we're doing we don't in, in the best sense like we don't know really what this is we're responding to each other um i know that there are different sorts of aesthetics at play mine was i would always try to change my setup for every piece so i'd limit my vocabulary for every piece so that's not something that the other three guys did so unless that was sort of a group decision, it, it mainly the contrast came from Derek, are you going to play acoustic on this one when we're in the studio? Pat, what are you going to play? So so there were guitar combinations that then I could play bass marimba or I could play chromatic boobams or, you know, so there was a lot more control of variety in the studio than there was live. Live was sort of a bloodletting. And it has its moments of contrast. In fact, I do point to the last In Quest for a Solution, the last track, where Pat uses his lead synth sound that we all love and know so well, while Derek and other people are playing kind of percolating percussive things. And so like there, it does reach a, a moment of two worlds that are different, but a lot of what Sign of Four is, is Pat finding his place in Derek's world. And I think if we understand it from that point of view, then it's useful to think of it that way. And and I think more of Pat going over to Derek's side than Derek going over to Pat's side. But Pat knew that going in and that's what he wanted. As to just quickly address the three disc situation, um, that was Pat. And he wanted it to be a blockbuster. 
but I felt that it should be a, a, all the best of the three discs could be boiled down to 70-something minutes on one disc. But he wanted this disc first. I couldn't talk him out of it. And then we figured we'd do the acoustic and studio one second. And then we figured, well, there's sort of the balance of, of everything. So I called it the balance of probability on the third. Every disc had a subtitle. So to, to try to organize it in some way was my job as a producer. I think that it kind of got knocked off track a little bit by starting with the wall of noise because a lot of people won't go to the second and third disc after that. So, so, so Pat and I, you know, had a friendly disagreement about that and everything else that I wanted was happening. I mean, I was getting all the, the tracks on and he said, but no, it's gotta be the first time we played on stage, which is disc one. And then it's going to be just the studio stuff. And then just another disc of live stuff. And I said, okay. And then the, the phone call to the knitting factory was interesting because the contract had to be renegotiated because the budget changed. So this is that kind of thing of that spontaneity and also Pat's intensity when he gets a when he gets an idea, he's just like a dog with a bone. He's just like really, really grabbing onto it and running with it. And I think maybe he knew this is a once in a lifetime thing to play with Derek and and he wanted to try as many different things as he could. Um, the thing about improvised music is not that different from what I learned from Weather Report through working with Bob Belden is those Weather Report records are great, but they took off all the stuff that wasn't happening and they edited them down to the stuff that was happening. Quote, Joe Zawinul says to Bob Belden when they were doing the live and unreleased double, which was originally supposed to be a box set, but Sony chickened out at that time. He said, Belden, take off all the shit that's not happening. That is a, a quote and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? That's beautiful. But that's what Tio Macero did on the Miles stuff. It's what producers you know? do in 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 in, in instrumental music. Well, we're, not just instrumental music. Good producers. Well, this is what they they either turn something not happening into something that's happening, or they tell you to cut. I but, think uh, Greg, was, I, I got to get going. This was a right great on, discussion. man. Thanks so much for inviting me. And I uh, really, I know this thing's out of print, but. Um, there are ways to hear it if you need to hear it. So uh, if you're interested in an adventure, check this out. And we did make a whole video about this album. Or not a whole video, but it's part of our, um, what is that? The Pat. Sign yeah, the Pat <laughs> Zero Tolerance for Silence video on Make Weird Music. It's, it's so. actually uh, WTF Pat Metheny Noise Rock. I yeah, I think that's the I title of the video. <laughs> And, yeah, and yeah. my ears are and eyes are bleeding in the thumbnails. Yes. So. Right. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. Uh, and so and by the hey. way, Anthony, I knew the record was not for everyone, and I've never changed my position on that. So I'm happy to look at both sides. I'm happy that you can see it that way as someone who produced it, because I think there are a lot of artists who are like, I made this. This is great. You should like this. You know, exactly. but I showed up and yeah. I showed up in Texas the year that it came out and there were kids coming up to me at this college and saying, Hey man, the sign of four is so cool. I'm like, I'm glad you think so. Yeah. You look, look, yeah, no, that's a whole other discussion. We, we should do one. That's just about 
noise and Mersbau and all these things. 